Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm David Osman, and with me today is Helen Thomas of Blonde Money. Our subject for this podcast, UK politics, continuity or discontinuity. The Independent Research Forum promotes an extensive range of top quality independent research and data providers that span the globe, both macro and micro. Many are global, some are country specific, some are sector specific, some are stock pickers, all are investment related. The UK government is in a period of uncertainty with two very different contenders challenging for the leadership of the Conservative Party. The winner will not be known until early September. At that time, either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak will automatically become our next Prime Minister. To what extent will there be a change of direction, either directly or indirectly? From dealing with the cost of living crisis to fiscal and monetary policy, the levelling up agenda, foreign affairs, the COVID pandemic and climate change, the policy challenges are formidable. What will this mean for the UK financial market? To discuss these issues and more, I'm very pleased that we are joined today by Helen Thomas, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Blonde Money. Helen Thomas has an impressive career in both finance and politics. Helen was an advisor to the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, and she also created the Financial Markets Reform Programme for the Think Tank Policy Exchange. Previously, Helen has been a partner in the Global Macro Hedge Fund, ABD Investment Management, and a former head of Currency Alpha for State Street Global Advisors. She is a CFA charter holder and serves on the board of the CFA UK. Helen is also a Freeman of the City of London and has a degree in philosophy, politics and economics from Oxford University. Founded in 2014, Blonde Money is an independent consultancy firm that analyzes and monitors mispriced risk in financial markets in the US, UK and EU. This ranges from political risks such as Russia, China, Brexit and US elections to structural market instabilities such as those created by exchange-traded funds. As CEO, Helen coordinates a team of experienced finance professionals and aspiring analysts who identify and monitor hidden risks in the global financial markets. Helen, welcome. Let's start with a short introduction to the advisory service that Blonde Money provides to your various clients. Hello, David. It is a great pleasure to be talking to you once again. So what we do at Blonde Money, as you said there, is look at the mispriced risk in financial markets. And we do that by trying to make it as quantitative as possible, but also deliver it in an entertaining and concise way. So for example, you touched on the political work that we do. We created a picture of the British Parliament based on all of the MPs' Brexit ideology. We came up with our own proprietary Brexit measure. We've done the same for the MPs' opinions of Boris Johnson, you know, all of which is designed to, to give people, we know finance professionals, we've done it ourselves, we've been on the buy side and the sell side. 
you haven't got much time, you just need to know what's going on and what do I need to monitor. And that is what we do through a series of emails, webinars, conference calls, and even instant message chats to people. So when it comes to the Conservative leadership election, is it going to be Truss or Sunak? Who do you think will win the vote of the Conservative Party membership this summer? It will be Liz Truss. And uh, I'll give you three reasons why. First of all, her policies are more appealing to Conservative Party members. And I'm sure we'll get into the difference in their policies. But the biggest dividing line, the one that she's chosen to sell herself on, is tax which is no great surprise given that Rishi Sunak took the tax burden to its highest level in peacetime. She wants to, at a minimum, reverse a number of those changes. So there's there's a clear signal there of, I want to get tax down and I want to make sure that uh, you know, you've got more money in your pocket. That's a, a classic kind of conservative ideology, if you will. She's also... Um, burnished her credentials on, uh, you know, uh, immigration policy, on defence. Again, some kind of classic uh, conservative values, or so she would argue. So there's there's a policy angle, but there's also a style angle to all of this. Now, there's been much amusement over the last couple of years about Liz Truss's um, Instagram feed, where she loves to carefully curate her image as basically a, a quasi-thatcher. She literally, you know, has pictures of herself in a tank, which is very similar to what Mrs. Thatcher did, you know, in during the Falklands War in the 80s, etc. So her style, again, is trying to appeal to that underlying sense amongst conservatives of, of uh, the love of Thatcher. But the third point is actually that this is in many ways a contest of the least worst option. Uh, the conservatives have been in power now for 12 years. Some of that was in a coalition. In a couple more years, at the latest, they'll be asking for another five years. That means we'd be looking at almost two decades for the Conservative Party in power. They've been through a lot of leaders in that time, even if we haven't always had a general election. And it's getting harder and harder to sell themselves to the electorate. So even for Conservative Party members, uh, this is going to be a question of who is our least worst option, because it's not entirely clear that either of them would be the first choice of party members. Of course, Boris Johnson famously did a great job of making his way to the top, uh, gaining over two-thirds of the vote. This time around, they, they know both of these two candidates. They're known quantities. They're both, and we'll get to this, they're both, in a sense, a continuity candidate. So this isn't really a massive break with the past. And therefore, for many members, it will be a question of who is the least worst and so far, given her policies and her style, Liz Truss is making that argument. So in addition to various tax cuts, how would a Truss government differ from the Johnson regime in terms of economic and financial matters? So let's talk a bit about those tax cuts, because um, I've said she would. She has promised. Of course, let's see what she does when she actually gets in. But she wants to reverse a number of the tax hikes including the, the increase that's going to come to corporation tax, reversing the national insurance hikes. And then she also wants to look at an actual income tax cut. But when she actually gets into power, there's a big de- debate going on about the fact it's going to cost £30 billion to do what she has promised. But let's not forget that this government has spent around £400 billion as a result of COVID and now measures to combat the cost of living. So 
it is something of a quibble, this 30 billion, although that does sound like a very large number. And of course, Liz Truss is arguing that she can pay for it because uh, there's more fiscal headroom than had been expected due to a bigger tax take, which actually a lot of which is driven by the rise in inflation, uh, as well as other measures like the freezing of tax thresholds. But as we all know, we're in an incredibly uncertain period for the economy. Uh, those figures were created months ago. And even if we consider probably a few weeks ago, the world is changing. The world is significantly different. Much higher interest rates globally. The energy prices continue to go up. We are hearing that this energy price cap will see people's energy bills double again. So when she actually gets into government, um, it's going to be, as ever, harder to potentially do than she might think. But that isn't a problem if she decides to rip up the economic orthodoxy, which is a phrase that she herself has been using, and she accuses Rishi Sunak of capture by the Treasury. So in terms of, you know, where do we actually end up? There's a a really key element to that first budget that Liz Truss will deliver, of course, her Chancellor will deliver, which is, does she decide to just ignore a lot of these forecasts and say they're wrong and she knows and her people know how to grow the economy and she's going to do it? Or does she realize that you do have to operate within some constraints and so i i think she will end up operating under those constraints she will get she will have a sensible policy but i do think that that that's the sort of the moment of peak risk for financial markets will come with that first budget because that's where she can set out her stall for is she going to rip up the rule book and say that forecasts are useless and they're massive, there's huge uncertainty and who knows what's going to happen. And if you don't go for growth, then what's the point? Or will she try and operate within those constraints? And that's that's where I think we'll get the volatility, which would likely manifest in gilt prices, but also uh, in the currency, which, of course, is always the uh, the pressure valve for uh, for political risk. So Liz Truss will be lowering taxes to boost economic growth at a time when the Bank of England will be raising interest rates, trying to slow the economy to cool inflation. Now, if against the odds Sunak wins, would he be a safer pair of hands for the UK economy? I do love that word safer that you've used, David. Um, You know, uh, what does that what does that mean? So, I think that you mean it to be a sense of, and and forgive me if I put words in your mouth, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but safer sounds like you're meaning predictable, understandable, consistent. Yeah, I think Um, consistent is the key element to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so I think, yes, if Sunak were to win, we do know his direction of travel. We have seen that he sold himself as the sound money man. And, um, he certainly does want to ensure, you know, a consistent and predictable path forward, or at least that's what he says. But let's look at what he did. I mean, this is something of the irony about Rishi Sunak's arguments. Over the two and a half years he's been Chancellor, um, we've had at least six budgets, if not more, if you count all the different times he stood up and delivered uh, fiscal events. Now, of course, he had to do that because of the pandemic. But he's also done that when it comes to some of the cost of living work. I mean, he delivered a spring statement which was rather underwhelming um, in terms of uh, appearing to sacrifice growth because he, he was very much sticking to his idea that, for example, on energy bills, 
people would get £200 as a grant, which they would pay back over four years, £50 a year. A couple of months later, that's completely ripped up. And he's saying, oh, everyone, everyone, everyone is going to get £400 free, a grant. And, um, and then if some people, depending on the benefits they're on, will get up to £1,200 to help with energy bills. So he's not averse himself to trying to flip around and be somewhat inconsistent. So I think, I think what I'd actually flip the question on its head and say, you can't really be consistent with the economy that we've got. And it's not just in Britain, it's the global economy. Because, and this is an argument we've been making for some time now, is that the world is completely different since March 2020, not just because of the pandemic, also the technological revolution. And now we have a war, we're going to have huge, huge volatility in economic output. So at the time of us recording this, David, there's lots of discussions about whether the US is in recession, what's going to happen in the second half of the year globally to, to growth. We're just not in a normal business cycle. We could have three quarters of negative growth. We could have three quarters of hugely strong growth. It's going to flip up and down, around and around, because the economy is in such a state of flux. So I would just say that it it is actually unsafe to be too consistent because your forecasts are going to be ripped up and you really have to think about where where is the economy dislocated and, and, much more importantly, what can we as a government do about it? Some of the problems in the world economy uh, cannot be changed by a government, but of course they can ameliorate things like people being able to afford their food bills. So, you know, I think grasping that challenge is absolutely key for whichever one of these candidates actually wants to win the next election. You point to the international environment, which is going to be very challenging, whether it's Truss or or Sunak. Um, There's an unfinished Brexit. You mentioned the war in Ukraine. There's China. There's a disunited States facing midterm congressional elections in early November. We've still got the worldwide COVID pandemic. And we've also got a global climate potentially on the edge of catastrophe. Now, do you think that the next prime minister will take a markedly different approach to our international relations and responsibilities from the Johnson government? I think that there will clearly be a continuation of support with Ukraine. That definitely is the case, whoever wins. And I'll tell you why, because certainly my contacts within politics tell me there is a a very clear commitment that... Russia must lose. It must lose this war. Um, and I was quite surprised at the strength of that feeling because I said to a number of them, but that means a lot more inflation at home. It's going to be difficult uh, for the economy. It's going to be difficult for energy. Are we prepared for that? You know, is, is the West prepared for this? And they said, yes, we, we, we must. You know, we must face down Russia and Putin must lose. So I think that will certainly be a continuation. China, um, well, Truss is, Liz Truss is fairly hawkish on China. But here's the thing. She, she's what I call a pragmatist who uses ideology as shorthand to gain power. So she, she looks like an ideologue. You know, she wants to be this sort of neocon hawkish Thatcherite figure riding off in her tank 
But actually, when it comes to deep down, who is Liz Truss? She doesn't have any particularly strong personal beliefs, um, other than a you know general sense of of, of conservatism. Um, so, I think that the the hawkishness towards China will ease somewhat, given that they do remain an important economic partner. When it comes to so you you're asking about continuity in the world and the geopolitics at large. Um. Well, Liz Truss has been foreign secretary, so we can consider that she will carry on in a similar vein, which um, has led to some interesting interactions. Where I think it was Russia, it was it was Lavrov in Russia who, uh, you know, uh, they they had a meeting, and it looked like I think as a result of that meeting, there was talk of nuclear strikes, which seems a bit extreme. But look, Liz Truss is not an idiot. Um, at the end of the day, she's not an idiot. She's a pragmatist. She will. Um, she will not do anything too extreme. So, yes, when it comes to continuity with the previous government, actually, despite her trying to claim she is a break from the previous government, aside from the tax policy, I'm not sure there is going to be much difference. So what does all this imply about the outlook for UK government bond yields, for the sterling exchange rate and for the UK stock market during the remainder of this year? So let's start with sterling. The currency and of course we're at relatively low levels at the moment certainly against the dollar for the pound now a lot of that is dollar strength but there is certainly some of that that is the uh, element of political uncertainty has weighed on 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 sterling um even though even it's sort of something of an irony for the poor old bank of england that they actually started hiking before the fed and the ecb and yet they're now criticized for not doing it quick enough or hard enough even though there's been at the time of speaking, five successive hikes, I think. Um, actually, it might be six now. But either way, those hikes have not really supported the pound that much. Now, so what I see in you talk about, well, who I think it'll be Liz Trust takes over, 5th of September, begins a party conference, there's a budget. That period, I think, will be negative for sterling and negative for for gilts because she will look like she's going for growth it'd be kind of reaganite policy in which case the bank of england will be hiking interest rates more than would otherwise be the case and there will may well be a bit of concern um over the direction of the economy uh, you know that she, th- there'll be some concern that she may be is taking a bit more of a radical path so that will be negative gilts negative sterling however that will only be a short term phenomenon and it will become clear that the UK is not doing something completely insane. In fact, there are many ways in which a trust administration is similar to the Johnson administration, and that will stabilise, certainly sterling. So when it comes to sterling versus the dollar, we don't see it much below 115. So we're sort of around towards the lows as we're speaking and will be over these next few months. Uh, And in fact, there will come that, towards the end of the year, that ugly contest whereby all Western governments are facing a really toxic mix of political issues. Um, You mentioned the US midterm elections, which looked like they'll be pretty bad for President Biden. I saw a a poll recently that said something like 75% of Democrats and leaning Democrats don't even want Joe Biden to be the nominee in 2024. You know, he's under a lot of trouble. We've got inflation, we've got cost of living, we've got natural slowdown in the economy. It's going to be a dark winter for everybody. But the fact is that Britain, by changing its leader, 
by the Bank of England being pretty consistent and the fact that, you know, other economies will be doing worse, particularly in Europe, which faces a greater challenge from the Russia threat, uh, that the pound and the UK will seem, relatively speaking, a slightly better place to put your money. Now, when it comes to stock market, of course, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because the FTSE 100 is not uh, really that British or a measure of the British economy. uh, And a weaker currency tends to help the FTSE 100. So probably the FTSE 100 will be doing a little bit better on a relative basis. But then you look at, you know, FTSE 350 and the the sort of genuine uh, real British businesses. Yes, they are going to have a very tough time, as are I think all businesses Q3, Q4, because the consumer is going to retrench. You know, the consumer, you can see it in the housing market statistics in the US. You can see it with the fact the savings rate has plunged. I know there's this idea that everyone saved a lot of money over COVID. A lot of that has been used up. Consumers have been borrowing. They've been using credit. How are they going to get through the winter? We haven't even mentioned a new COVID variant, which will almost certainly emerge one way or other. So I just think it's it's a pretty bad winter for pretty much everybody. Uh, but but the UK will have its wobble earlier. So September, October will be a, the worst time for uh, gilts and the pound. But uh, the end of the year, I'd expect to see that turn around and a better outlook for the pound, for gilts and for the UK stock market. Helen. Thank you for this most valuable insight into the advisory service that is provided by Blonde Money. If we had more time, it would be interesting to discuss in greater detail the implications for UK longer-term productivity growth, as well as the international implications of the current political developments here in the UK. In addition, it would be interesting to hear more about your views of the upcoming elections in the United States later this year and in 2024. The Independent Research Forum is offering a short trial to the Blonde Money service and can provide details of how to subscribe to their full service. More information is available on request from the Independent Research Forum. Many thanks for listening to this IRF podcast with Helen Thomas, the CEO of Blonde Money.